Welcome back to the King Bentley Podcast. I hope everybody enjoyed their Thanksgiving weekend. I sure did. Was that too fast? I think I'll be talking too fast sometimes. I'm going to slow it down for you. Since we're on the topic, I hate Thanksgiving. And, and I feel like as a country, we should just stop fronting. I genuinely believe that Thanksgiving just shouldn't even be a holiday anymore. That, that sounds very that sounds very dark. Yeah, that sounds very dark. Like, I got, like I'm hurt. Like I broke my heart got broken on Thanksgiving or some shit. Nah, I, I just, I just, I'm a, I'm a very organic individual, and I just feel like all of the vibes on Thanksgiving are constantly forced. Not, not with my family though. Like the vibes are good. I'm talking about in general. The vibes as a country, on a whole. Like for example, October pulled up. Shout out to October. October pulled up, and as soon as October pulled up, we seen Halloween commercials. We saw Halloween decorations. It was just a whole lot of Halloween talk. November pulled up and Christmas time was here. Max, riddle me that. Explain that to me. How we go from Halloween to Christmas? What, what happened to Thanksgiving? What, you can't monetize Thanksgiving? You can't get a bag off Thanksgiving? Yeah, man, I just, I just feel like this shit is a lie. I don't think there's anything. No, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me, let me backtrack. There's a lot to give thanks for. But on a macro level, ain't shit to give thanks for. Ain't much to give thanks for. I'm gonna keep it a stack. Like, and then on top of that, what's the festivities for Thanksgiving? Sit at home and watch the parade. You know how bored you gotta be to really sit at home on your couch to watch a parade? That's wild. I do appreciate everybody that went out on Thanksgiving to help the homeless, to get people who were less fortunate. I appreciate all of you. Thank you. Thank you for actually doing and living up to what Thanksgiving is supposed to be about. But, again, on the macro level, I just don't think there's much to, think, to be thankful for from this country. I feel like at this point, we should just, like, because Thanksgiving is Sunday dinner. Am I wrong? Thanksgiving is Sunday dinner. My nigga, like, that shit is Sunday dinner. A lot of us have Thanksgiving dinner, like, every week. Not to mention, like, I'm not really here for the comparisons and foods and dishes, like, I don't even think I touched the gram that day. I just, I don't really like seeing niggas' foods and seeing niggas' plates. Shit just rubs me wrong. Remember that? I'd rather not know what niggas eat. And I, I know, I know I sound very, I sound very dark right now. I do. But, yo, I just, I don't know how much I can explain it or how better I can explain it or how better I can verbal. Like, I just don't, I'm not really feeling the Thanksgiving vibe. Like, I always, like, it should always felt forced, like, that shit always pulled up on me randomly. I was never prepared for Thanksgiving. But nonetheless, that shit ain't gonna stop. So, all of these words are going in vain. Not to mention, I, I also despise, like, having to respond to mad Thanksgiving texts. Shit. Mad holiday text, period. Like, and it's not even, like, don't get me wrong. I appreciate everybody that reached out to me on Thanksgiving and told me happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. But I just, I don't, like, I hate that. Like, I just don't like doing that. Like anytime my phone is filled with mad messages, that shit, like my anxiety starts wilding. I think somebody else can get me. And by like the third or fourth shit, by the second message, you just copy pasting everybody. That's another thing. Like you know these messages ain't genuine. Maybe they are, but I don't know. I just, I get very overwhelmed when I see a lot of messages in my phone. But like I said, thank you to everybody that reached out to me nonetheless. Now that that's off my chest, let's get straight to it. Decided to forego a guest today. Just a couple of topics I want to discuss going around 
around the NBA. And I'll get out of here. I won't keep you guys too long today. Make sure you share, spread the word, tell a friend to tell a friend. Like, rate, comment on the King Bentley Podcast, on SoundCloud, on Google Play, on the Apple Podcast app. I finally got that shit right on the first time. Let's go, nigga. I'm getting better at this shit. Fuck you, me. But, um, yeah. Episode 8. So, I'll touch a few topics and get out of here. Let's start with the, uh, let's start with the Washington Wizards for a second. Washington Wizards, who are currently 7-12, and 12, ranked 10th in the NBA Eastern Conference. I'm a little, I'm a little strange, I'm a little surprised. Excuse me, I'm a little surprised, yeah. Now, the backcourt is one of the better backcourts in the NBA. John Wall, who is a perennial all-star. Bradley Bill is one of the best shooting guards in the league. But somehow this team can't quite seem to figure it out. First things first, it was always very alarming to me that Washington took the chance on Scott Brooks. Scott Brooks, the head coach, formerly the head coach of Oklahoma City. And if you remember correctly, the Scott Brooks experiment didn't work out in Oklahoma City, where he was tasked with trying to coach a strong-minded, big-personality point guard. So I'm, I'm just trying to figure, I'm just trying to understand Washington's psyche here. I'm trying to understand which part of Washington's front office thought it was okay to then take Scott Brooks from that situation in the West, bring him over to the Eastern Conference, and ask him to do the same thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm just as confused as you are. Not to say that Scott Brooks is the sole issue right now. But in my opinion, it just doesn't make sense to try to run back an experiment that already failed. Ernie Grunfeld, who's been the GM of the Washington Wizards for the past 15 seasons. I think it's time for him to go. Now, let's, let's, let's take a look at his tenure with the Washington Wizards. So in his 15 seasons of being a GM at the Washington Wizards, there have been six seasons where the Wizards have won below 30 games. There have been six seasons where the Wizards have won less than 30 games. There's only been about five seasons where they won 40 or more. And with Bradley Bill and John Wall, two of the two of the better guards in the league, being their starting backcourt, the most games that they've ever won in a dwindling Eastern Conference has been 49. Yes, the Wizards have been underachievers for the entire John Wall, Bradley Bill era. Not only have they been underachievers winning, but Ernie Grunfeld has also traded away every first-round draft pick on every single chance he could get. In 2009, he traded away a first-round pick to Minnesota for a rental of Randy Foy and Mike Miller. And oh, by the way, that 2009 first-round draft pick turned into Ricky Rubio, which very well and very easily could have been Steph Curry. In 2013, he traded away a first-round draft pick in the Martian Gortat deal. Where's Martian Gortat now? Out of Washington. In 2016, he traded away a first-round draft pick, a part of the Markeith Morris trade. <laughs> and in 2017, he traded away a first-round draft pick, a part of the Bogdan Bogdanovich trade. Oh, Bojan, I'm sorry. Bojan Bogdanovich. I get confused with my foreigners. So not only are the Wizards currently fucked up, Structure-wise and roster-wise. But they have no future. Trading away all these first-round picks 
does not give them the opportunity to get better going forward. Who is advising him? Who is he running these trades by before letting it happen? Questions that need answers. Not to mention, their salary situation is ridiculous. John Wall, a player who heavily relies on speed and explosiveness, is due $70 million through the 2023 season. Yes, you heard that right, which means his salary will literally double at the end of the season and going forward. In the 2023 season, when he's 32 years old, he'll be due a $47 million contract. Now think about that. A 32-year-old who relies on athleticism being owed $47 million. That's an untradeable contract. Who's taking that risk? Who's going to take that risk? Unless we forget the Otto Porter deal last year, which gave Otto Porter $106 million over the next four years. Now, like I said, or if I've never mentioned, I'm not one to count anybody's pockets. I'm not knocking John Wolf for signing that deal, nor am I knocking Otto Porter for getting that bag. I support any black man that's getting money. I support it. But basketball-wise, management-wise, those are bad contracts. In no way, shape, or form is he lining up the franchise to be good in the next couple of years by giving those contracts to those guys. Especially after them underperforming season in, season out. It's uncalled for. Bradley Bills also shooting a career low 33% from the field. This is one of the better shooting guards in the league. He had a career year last year. And now he came back this season shooting 33% from the field. That being said, out of their young core, out of their main core, that being John Wall, Otto Porter, and him, Bradley Bill, Bradley Bill has the most sensible contract. He's only owed $55 million over the next two seasons. And although he's having a career low three point shooting year and a career low three point, I mean, a career low field goal shooting year, he is a volume 39% three point shooter on a career. With that being said, Bradley Bill is their most tradable asset. And if I'm Washington, at this point, there's no need for us to run it back. We've watched this movie too many times in the past. Experimenting is done. It doesn't work. It's time to move on from that. Now, if I'm Washington, hear me out. You can't trade John Wall because nobody's taking that contract. You may be able to trade Otto Porter. But Bradley Bill, that's your highest valued asset at the moment. So here's a couple of potential trades I came up with over the weekend. You could call up the boys from Boston, which I never recommend because Danny Ainge is going to find a way to fleece you. But you could call them boys in Boston and ask for a calm Gordon Haywood, Terry Rozier swap for Bradley Bill. Now, a lot of people are like, why would you do that? Why would you want to do it? Why would you want to give up Bradley Bill for Gordon Haywood? He's coming off injury. I understand that. That's cool. But it's time to go in a different direction. Either way, Washington is not winning now, so you don't need Gordon Hayward to pull up, give you crazy numbers right away. Terry Rosian is in a position where he's not happy anymore. It's simple. The writing's on the wall. He helped the Celtics get to the playoffs. No, I'm not going to say he helped them like he was the catalyst, but he played an integral role in the Celtics' playoff push last season. With that being said, a change of scenery might be good for him. He's already proven that he could perform on a big stage 
And he's already proven that night after night he can come out and be consistent. So having him back up John Wall and occasionally start wouldn't do him any harm. Gordon Hayward, on the other hand, by next season he'll be able to back he'll be back to being himself. It won't happen overnight, but by next season he could get there. And I, at this point, I feel as though if Boston were to get a player like Bradley Bill, they'll get rid of Terry Rozier, who wants more minutes. They'll get rid of Gordon Hayward, who's been holding him back. And then they'll be able to move in a different direction going forward. Eventually, things will start to pick up again for their team, for their offense. And then eventually, they'll be able to live up to those high expectations that they have set for themselves as a franchise. Now, if that doesn't work, you could even try calling up L.A., shipping Bradley Bill over to the West. It may not be in L.A.'s best interest to do it. But if you're Washington, what are you about to lose? If I'm Washington, I'm picking up the phone and I'm asking for either Brandon Ingram, two of, two of these players, either Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, and Lonzo Ball. Preferably behind Kyle Kuzma. But the Lakers would be dumb to give a both, so you'd have to take Lonzo in, in one of the two wings. And in that way... They'll be getting much younger because they definitely do need some youth. And the two young players in L.A. And the two young stars will now come to a new location in a new environment and put into practice everything that they learned over in L.A. on a bigger stage. It's less attention in Washington. And if you could perform under the bright lights in the Stable Center, the Verizon Center is nothing for you. Last but not least... John Wall has a hell of a contract on the books right now. But why not calling up a team like Detroit who has nothing to lose, being that they already have Blake Griffin's five-year albatross around their neck, and see if they want John Wall. They could just go out in a blaze of glory. Have two of the best stars from last decade. That's, that's a deal. I ain't going to say a lot last decade. John Wall got drafted in 2010. Blake Griffin got drafted in 2011. I ain't going to say last decade. So two of the best stars from this decade who kind of wave it off in recent years and they'll be able to give them both a change of location change in environment and John Wall will be able to run next to Brad, not Bradley but he'll be able to run next to Blake Griffin and RJ Drummond and hopefully that change of scenery will put a battery in his back and get him to play like he's one of the better point guards in the league and get him to play like he's worth $107 million over the next four seasons so these are just some options for where for Washington you don't have to take my advice you don't have to listen to me at all shit you might not even hear this but what I do know for a fact is that it's over in Washington. Now, I usually don't get now I usually don't get too caught up in advanced analytics. As you know, I don't really ramp it. I don't really fuck with advanced analytics. But NBA.com is doing a great job this season of catering to those fans. And I realized if I want to last long in this little, you know, business, I'm gonna have to start paying more attention to advanced analytics. So over the weekend, I took it upon myself to face the thing I hate the most about modern basketball. I've always complained about advanced analytics taking away the joy of the game and, you know, not telling the full story. But I ain't going to front. Over the weekend, I found some stats that actually do just that. This is a stat option on NBA.com where you can choose a lineup of players and determine how efficient they are. I'm not sure who implemented this, but it certainly wasn't a bad call. Can't lie. After toying with the system a little bit, I realized that the Celtics' most inefficient lineup is their starting five of Kyrie Irving, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, and Al Horford. That's strange. 
we had such high expectations for them going into the season. After all, the Celtics went to the Eastern Conference Finals and forced the LeBron James-led Cavs to seven games. Now, that one stat told half the story for me. It was the first time I'd looked up an advanced analytic and it confirmed what I was watching in games. Now, in my opinion, the problem in Boston isn't really on the court as much as it is on the sideline. In the past, I've raved about Brad Stevens being one of the best coaches in the league, but it's hard for me to give him that credit this season. Brad Stevens has been unreasonably stubborn this year, deciding to start Gordon Hayward and playing him big minutes as if he isn't coming off a major ankle injury. Gordon Hayward simply isn't the same. The former All-Star who once averaged 21 points a game, shooting 47% from the field, is now only giving the Celtics 10 a game, shooting 40% from the field. Now, now hold on, I'm not, I'm not calling for him to retire or get traded, but it would definitely be in the Celtics' best interest to cut back on his minutes. After all, Gordon Hayward nor Kyrie Irving won the court during the Celtics' playoff run that forced the cast to Game 7. Wouldn't the wise thing to do be to play the lineup that got you there? Now, I understand Kyrie Irving coming back and taking his starting role. He's their best player. But Hayward? It's not fair to him. It's not fair to the organization. And shit, it's not fair to the Boston fans to have to turn on their television every night after a long day's work and watch him struggle to score on offense and turn around and get torched on defense. Listen, he's just not ready to play yet. It's an 82-game season, and keeping everyone happy is essential. Guys like Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier, who are essential part who are an essential part to the Celtics' playoff run, struggle to fit into the offense now. And oftentimes, they look unhappy during games. You know, the cameras come on, they're always going to say, you know, you got to do what you got to do for the team, I'm happy to be here, so on and so forth. But deep down inside, I can tell. I can tell the nigga Terry Rozier not jacking this no more. I can tell he about two games away from Ashley's agent for a trade. After all, that scary Terry shit helped to raise his stock last season. Now, Brad Stevens, we know you're a hell of an underdog. We know that. You did it at Baylor. You proved this time and time again early on in your career with the Celtics. But it's time that you actually prove to the world that you can coach a team filled with talent and high expectations. Brad Stevens pulled Gordon Hayward from the starting lineup against Charlotte on Friday. Well, last Friday, I should say. But somehow, he still managed to play 31 minutes that night. And Aaron Baines, who replaced him in the starting lineup, only ran seven. Dwight is on the wall, Brad. It's time to switch things up before the high expectations set for Boston come to the demise. It's a long season, and for Boston, the changes that they need to make don't require a trade. It's really simple. Sit Brad, sit, sit, excuse me, sit Gordon Hayward down. Allow him to come back to his full all-star potential self. And then, and then, Boston will reach the heights that they're destined to reach. Because after all, I predicted Jobs going to win the finals this year. Don't have me up here looking stupid. Sticking within the Atlantic Division for a little bit, let's, let's stay in the Atlantic Division for a little bit. Two things I want to discuss from the Atlantic Division. One, one is the New York Knicks. Let's talk about the Knicks for a second. Let me get this off my chest while I'm here. Because I'm not, I'm not quite understanding, like, it's, 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 why are we winning games? Is is nobody in the front of, is is there no scouts going to do games right now? Are we just ignoring what's going on in North Carolina? Are we ignoring what Coach Shevsky cooked up this season? We got Cam Reddish, Zion Williamson, 
and R.J. Barrett. Arguably 1, 2, and 3 in the 2019 NBA draft. Put the New York Knicks out here winning games. I get it. Don't get me wrong. I get it. You have to establish a winning culture early on now. This is David Fisdale's first season, and he's trying to prove himself to the New York media, to the New York fan base. But, Dave, I don't know if you realize we already like you. You don't want to develop bad habits now, and then they come in next season, and next thing you know, we have all of the talent in the world, and it's not working out because of the bad habits that we developed this year. I get all of that. I understand that completely. We're currently 7-14. You've proven to me that we can compete. You've proven to me that going forward, when we do get KP back, when we do draft some talent next year, we will have a formidable bench. You've proven to me that you guys cleaned it up a little bit in last year's draft. Last year's draft went pretty well, I must say. We got Kevin Knox with a top 10 pick. We stole. I don't know how. I don't know how. Yo, it's this, and this, this just goes to show that a lot of NBA GMs don't know what the fuck they're doing. I don't understand how a player like Alonzo Drake can go undrafted. Shout out to that young man, Isozo. You've proven to me that you cleaned it up in last year's draft by taking Kevin Knox. Who's had a bit of a slow start due to the ankle injury, but nonetheless, I like what I'm seeing from Kevin Knox. In the long term, I think he will be well. He will do just fine. We got Alonzo Trier, a baller to say the least. Doesn't really play much defense, but he competes. And he dropped buckets on anybody. Already dropping niggas, already banging it on people. He's been balling so far. And a steal might be the steal of the draft in Mitchell Robinson, a player who can run the floor, block shots, crash boards. Play the well. I don't really don't like the way he runs the pick and roll. I'm not gonna lie to you. His picks could be a little bit better. His pick and roll defense could get better. Oh, will get better, I should say. But he is leading rookies in blocks. And the other night he did have nine blocks. So we got a steal in Mitchell Robinson, a player who's very, 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 very underrated for the way he was taken due to the fact that he didn't play any college ball last season. So I'm like, wow, shit. In retrospect, I actually I'm not I'm not too mad with it. I'm really sitting here thinking about it's the first time I really, I re- I'm really satisfied with the way we drafted last year for the first time in a very, very long time. So that shows me that the front office, led by Steve Mills and Scott Perry, and the coaching staff, led by David Fisdale, they know what they're doing. We're on the right path. But the only bone to pick I have is the fact that we're winning games. Man, listen. Look at all the other big markets in the country right now, and they're flourishing. LA's got LeBron. Shit, the Clippers even doing good this year, too. Philly has a big three of their own. Boston didn't really figure it out yet, but it's, it's only a matter of time before they do. Chicago is not the best right now, but you got to keep in mind, Lori Marketing is injured. They got a hell of a play in Wendell Carter Jr. And Zach Levine looking like the second coming of Michael Jordan. <laughs> the only big market missing in that puzzle is us. And you know what it's going to take for us to get back in that puzzle? You know what it's going to take? You know, you know what the right piece is for us to get back to being one of the premier big markets in the league again. Getting a top three pick next season. You know what's going to help us do that? Losing a couple games. So going forward, just, just bear in mind, keep it back in your mind. Going forward, we need a top three pick next season. And I understand that the NBA, of course, the year that the Knicks finally can you know, probably tank correctly and get a good number one pick. I understand that the league, you know, changed up the lottery rankings a little bit it's a little different this time around and if that's the case if, if, if you guys realize that and realize listen us tanking is not going to do much 
Adam Silver, th- th- this 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 the part where you pull up and you you put that fix in for us. Last time we had a top three draft pick, correct me if I'm wrong, was 1985. Shout out to Patrick Ewing. I think I think we're due for one now. Absolutely no reason why a franchise like Cleveland can get three top three top three picks. What was the top five? I forgot. Three top three picks over the course of four seasons. There's no there's no reason why a team like that can get all of those top picks, but the New York Knicks can't. Like I said, I'm happy with what I'm what I'm happy. I'm very satisfied with what I've been seeing so thus far. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Don't live in the present. Think long term. We need one of them do plays. And and a lot of it isn't isn't really our fault because being that we play in New York, the New York media makes it impossible for teams to tank. The moment you lose a game, the headlines, the Daily News headlines, the New York Post headlines, shit, the internet, the blog, the blog boys, as Kevin Durant would say, it's all over the. It's yo, the moment we win, the moment we lose a game, we're slandered for it. So I could understand why a team would feel the need to have to go out night in, night out, and play the ass off to get some W's. But yo, New York media, relax. Take it easy, man. Y'all, 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 y'all getting too caught up in the moment. Think long term. Think five, ten years down the road. Imagine a player like Zion Williamson on a fast break in Mass Square Garden, cocking that shit back and throwing it down for a tomahawk. Imagine a nigga like R.J. Barrett mixing defenders and pulling up in it. Yo, we need that. We need that energy in the garden. Relax. Take it easy. In due time, it'll come. Now, for the Philadelphia 76ers, I ain't gonna lie. Five and two since Jimmy Butler's been there. I did say it would work. It's a very small sample size, but I'm, ha- I'm pleased with what I've been seeing so far. The only issue, or the only, I wouldn't even call it a bone to pick. It's just an overall unfortunate situation. Let's, let's leave it at that. An unfortunate situation. The Mark Hill Fultz situation going on in Philadelphia right now. There have been recent reports saying that Mark Hill is no longer in the Sixers' long-term plans. You know what that means. He's out of here. Finding a trade upon the folks is going to be difficult. And they better be praying that a team believes in his talent enough to take on his project. Now, the only teams, in my opinion, the only teams that should be inquiring about a potential folks trade should be a team who needs on-ball creators, teams in a position to be patient, teams looking for overall increase in talent, and most importantly, teams with solid leadership and organizational structure to see to it that he gets the necessary attention that he needs. Because I'm going to keep it a stack with you. I can't say the same. I can't say that definitively about Phoenix. Not Phoenix, excuse me. I can't say that definitively about Philadelphia. I can't call them an organization with sound leadership and a sound structure. Because if that was the case... The process wouldn't have taken this long. If that was the case, Mark Hill would always be healthy. If that was the case, Mark Hill would have already gotten the necessary help he needed. He would have seen they would have he already saw he was saw a soldier, a soldier specialist his last season. If that was the case, Mark Hill wouldn't be starting. If that was the case, Mark Hill wouldn't be asked to perform the way he's been asked to perform over the past season. You gotta remember this is a 19-year-old kid who's suffering a, a shoulder injury, who's not fully healthy. Yet he was thrown into the star lineup and asked to perform. And as the internet continued to destroy him, Philadelphia did nothing to defend his character. 
Philadelphia did nothing to put him in a better situation. So you know what the best option for them to do is now? Trade him. Get rid of him. If I'm Markel's agent, he's out of there. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm gone. I don't want my player there anymore. I'm not trusting Philadelphia or Markel anymore if I'm his agent. If I'm his agent, I'm specifically calling three franchises. Three franchises. I put them in. I, I, I rank them in order from from uh, from least to greatest. Least to greatest. Three franchises. First franchise I'm calling is the Orlando Magic. The reason why I said them first is because they lack the latter of of, of my um criteria. They don't really have the best organizational structure, in my opinion. And I've always been wary of their play development over in Orlando. But nonetheless, Orlando does need an all-ball creator. They do need a point guard. And Markel will fit perfectly next to their young front court of Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, and, uh, and Mo Bamba going forward. Shout out to New York. Shout out to Mo Bamba. But like I said, I'm not, I'm not too fond of their player development. So I don't know if that would be the best option for Markel. However... These last two, we got to find a way to get him there as soon as possible. If I'm his agent, the next place I'm calling is Phoenix. Why, why would you want to call Phoenix? Phoenix needs a point guard. Phoenix has a solid young core that's not trying to win tomorrow. They're also a struggling team, which means that the expectations for Markel would not be as high as they are in, in Philadelphia. Phoenix is one of the bigger media markets, but they don't get the attention. They don't get the national mainstream attention there. Philadelphia gets because they suck simple they only won three games this year or four games this year they're not going to get the attention that Philly's getting so Markel he'd be in a situation where he's needed one and two Phoenix has some of the best well not some of Phoenix has in my opinion the best medical staff in the NBA and it's been that way for years this is the same medical staff that extended the careers of Grant Hill and Steve Nash this is the same medical staff that went Shaq pulled up in O-line, found a way to keep him healthy for the whole season or for the majority of the season. He can even he can test it at himself as well, too. So the combination of them needing a point guard and them having one of the best medical staffs in the league make for the perfect fit, in my opinion, for a Markel Fultz. The last team I'd call, or the next team, actually, these two are interchangeable. You can even call this team second or third. It doesn't really matter. But if I'm Markel's agent, I'm getting San Antonio on the phone. I'm getting San Antonio on the phone. Unfortunately, Jontae Murray went down with ACL injury at the beginning of this season, so he's not able to. He wasn't able to play or suit up this year. But it's ACL injury is 2018, which simply means that next year when he comes back, he'll be just fine. I'm telling you, give it about 10 years, and ACL injury gonna be ankle sprain. I feel it. I do. But San Antonio has the perfect combination of veteran leadership and organizational structure that Markel Fultz needs to see to it. That his career doesn't go to waste. So Markel's agent, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. But if you're listening, I think it's time to get that boy out of Philadelphia. Nonetheless, I wish Philly nothing but the best. They are still one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. But I'm just calling the spade a spade, man. That Markel and Philly, that Philly situation, that Markel and Philly situation just isn't ideal. It isn't a perfect marriage. And... It'd be best for both of them to just part ways with each other. It'd be best for both of them to part ways with each other. What else do I want to discuss today? On another thing that's caught my eye, I'm not, another thing that's really caught my eye, the Portland Trailblazers have been balling. I ain't gonna lie. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting situation going on going on out there in Portland. 
And I, I say it's interesting because not much has changed in Portland since last season. Terry Stott's still the head coach. The offense still runs through CJ and Dame, two of the two guards in the NBA liable to drop 40 on any given night. And although they're currently sixth in the Western Conference right now, they have a top 10 rated offense. And they're one of the four teams in the league who have the same three-man core over the past four seasons. Now, that stood out to me. That consistency stood out to me. The only, the only other two teams that have or that fall into that same category are the Golden State Warriors and the Washington Wizards. The Golden State Warriors are the Golden State Warriors. Yes, they're going through their little struggles right now. Steph Curry's going to be back this, this, this week, and they'll pick it up again. Them niggas are more than likely going to win the championship if the Boston Celtics don't figure it out. The Washington Wizards, as I spoke about earlier, it's time for them niggas to blow it up. It's over. It's done. It's finished in Washington. It's time to move on. But the Portland Trailblazers have found a way to stay consistent over the past four seasons or so. They found a way to consistently improve. It seems like they don't pay much attention to what's being said about them in the media. And they just, you know, focus on the task at hand. Winning games and improving every year. Now, for a team who has two star caliber players, Portland is relatively quiet in an easygoing franchise. There's never any big stories surrounding the team in the news, and it's very rare that you hear about any locker room drama surrounding the team. And that, all that petty shit is out the window. You know what that tells me? They like each other. It's simple. They enjoy playing with each other. They have good chemistry as an organization. That's something that transcends the best plays of the week or the post-box game score. The 48 minutes that you spend on the court don't compare to the hours of travel and preparation spent behind the scenes. That's shit that the fans don't see. While everybody else is working, traveling to work, worrying about their own lives, these guys are together on the road trying to win games to satisfy you. And if you don't like each other, well, nah, not really, because Shaq and Kobe ain't like each other, and they won three championships. But Shaq and Kobe, their talent—we're talking about two of the top ten greatest players of all time. You feel me? So if you don't have two top ten great players on your team, you have to find—you gotta like each other in some way, shape, or form. And ask Minnesota about that. So for me, it's simple. It's real simple. Playing with a play with a bunch of guys who actually enjoy each other's company makes up for all of the potential roadblocks that you'd come across in an NBA season. Going back to the same little machine or tool or stat, but whatever you want to call it, the same shit that I used to figure out the Celtics' most inefficient lineup. I went back to the I went back to the drawing board and I was typing a couple of things, tweaking some shit, and I realized that the Blazers' lineup of Alfred Gamino, Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Seth Curry, and Yusuf Nurkic ranks third in the league with a net rating of 53. Now, just for some context to explain what net rating is, net rating is a person's or a player's or a team's offensive rating minus a defensive rating. Now, an offensive rating is the amount of points produced by an individual divided by the individual possessions times 100. And defensive rating, which pretty much would be the opposite, is the amount of points allowed by an opponent divided by the opponent's possessions times 100. You see why I don't really fuck with advanced and like why I got Why am I incorporating that much math into basketball? You feel me? Like, dude, like. I swear, if you turn the television on and just, like, put your phone down for a little bit and just pay attention to the 48 minutes of basketball being played on television, you can come to these conclusions on your own. You don't necessarily need these numbers, but to a certain extent, they kind of add to the story. 
So that starting lineup or that lineup ranks third in the league in overall net rating of 53. That's pretty damn efficient if you ask me. It may not be glamorous, but if you're playing with that level of efficiency, you're going to win some games. And I must admit, I was wrong about Yusef Nurkic. I thought the $48 million that he was giving over the summer was a little bit too much. But since then, he's been averaging a career high 52% from the field and currently has the highest net rating of any Blazer player playing more than 20 minutes a game. The rating is 8.1. Overall, Portland is a team that stuck with their core and continue to make minor adjustments each season. Despite getting swept in the first round of playoffs last season, this is the Blazers' best start since the 2014-15 season when they went on to win 51 games. So shout out to the Blazers. Man, I just had to credit them for what they do in this season. I respect it. I appreciate good basketball. Keep doing what y'all doing. Hopefully, 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 they'll be able to see the fruits of their labor very soon because the Western Conference is getting weaker. You never know. Last but not least, I just want to round off today's episode with just some rookie, just some rookie updates. Some rookie updates. Yo, this is one of the better classes in a long time. This is one of the better classes in a long time. And I must admit, I'm not necessarily... I was never big on foreigners. I was never big on foreign players. I'm not going to front. The only foreign players that I ever respected growing up were um, Dirk Nowitzki and Mano Ginobili. Of course, Hakeem Olajuwon and, 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 and Patrick Ewing and shit like that. Of course, they get my respect. I didn't really watch them play, though. That was before my time. But as far as guys that I've seen play... Mono Ginobili, Dirk Nowitzki, it stops there. In my opinion, I thought the Mavericks and the, and, and the um, damn, I'm not blanking. The Mavericks and the Spurs. I'm wilding. I almost called them the Suns. I thought the Mavericks and the Suns. I thought the Mavericks and the Spurs got lucky. I'm not gonna lie to you. So ever since then, I'm like, yo, listen. If the guy wasn't born on American soil, I'm not really jacking him as a basketball player. But I was wrong. I ain't gonna lie. In 2015, when we drafted KP with the fourth overall pick, I booed him. Who didn't? I was upset. I've been wrong about that. And most recently, most recently, Luka Doncic has proven me wrong. Now, he's proven me wrong in the grand scheme of things as far as my approach to foreigners, not as far as my approach to him as a player. Because going into the season, I predicted that he was going to hoop the way that he's been hooping. I caught that. I said that. You can go back and check that. That's on record. Doncic is a bowler. He's my choice for the rookie of the year. Averaging 19 and 7. I ain't even, not 6.9. He's averaging 19 points a game. And he's grabbing 7 rebounds a game. And he's helped Dallas to win 6 of what? Their last 8, if I'm not mistaken. And some of those wins include Golden State, Oklahoma City, and Utah. Oklahoma City and Utah being two of the best defensive teams in the league right now. Oh, not to mention, how can I forget? He's averaging 19, 7 boards a game, and 4 assists a game. Balling. Fuck you mean. That nigga nice. He's real. Nah, my bad. Got, my bad. I'm black. But you get the point, man. Luka Doncic has been playing professional basketball since he was 13 years old. It's no surprise to me that he's balling the way that he's been balling. On any given night, anytime you get a chance, just watch a Dallas game, and it does like it, it looks like he's been here before. He's not afraid of the big lights. He's not afraid of the big stage. This is a kid that won the EuroLeague MVP at 18 years old and the championship, by the way. So expect you expect Luka to be a gamer for his career. Expecting to be a game before his career. I could see at some point in his career, probably just at some point during his pinnacle, during the pinnacle of his career, he can be a, he could be a top 12 player, top 10, top 10, 12 player in the league. I wouldn't put it past him. DeAndre Ayton has been born as well too, averaging uh, 17 and 10. 
I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I didn't. I haven't really gotten a chance to watch too much Phoenix games this year, so I can't really speak on Phoenix as much. But I'm not really sure why they're losing the way that they've been losing. I, I'll look into that for next week's episode. But that's that's been bothering me as well too. You got two of the. Well, it's it's still early. DeAndre is a rookie. He's a rookie. But I yo I'd be upset if oh man it would pain me it would hurt me if Phoenix gets another top three pick. It would hurt me. Cause I'm I'm just I'm just a jealous I'm a jealous New Yorker. At the end of the day, I'm a jealous New Yorker. I want my team to win, and we suck because the media doesn't allow us to tank. Doesn't allow us to tank properly. And anytime I see any other team tanking effectively, I take it personal. I take it to heart. Because sports is the only thing that you can take personal and take to heart. Shea Gilgis Alexander, he's been bowling as well too for the Clippers. I ain't gonna front. At six six, he's 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 definitely a good size at the point guard position. He's been shown. He's been proven. To everybody that he can run the pick and roll effectively, and I'm not sure. I'm not mistaken. Going into this season, it was issues about there was there was issues surrounding his jumper. If I'm not mistaken, it was issues surrounding his, his the consistency of his shot. If I'm not, I don't remember. If I remember vaguely, but since then he's been averaging 50% shooting from mid range in a day and age where mid range is a little start. Trey Young has also been in, in, been impressive as well too. He's averaging 16 and 8, but it's also important to put things into the proper context. With that being said, those are empty numbers. I'm not gonna. I'm just calling it how I see it. He fits perfectly in Atlanta with the whole culture. Like, and, and that's another thing too. I was a little surprised and taken back that Luka Doncic was traded by Atlanta, but I, I think in the long run it will work out perfectly for both Dallas and Atlanta. Because now that I look at it, I don't think Luka will be able to even. I don't think he'd be able to thrive in Atlanta the way he's thriving in Dallas. I just don't see it. Like uh, Trey Young definitely fits that culture. Much more than um, and when I mean coach, not even just organizational culture, just culture as a, as a city. He fits that culture much better than Luka Doncic does. Not to mention, since we own Luka, Luka's literally position positionless. The only position I think he can't play is probably like the four to five. So I guess what he's not position positionless. Yeah. So what? You you know the vibe. Do you see what I'm trying to say? I'd say, well, he's six seven. I look at it like this. He's 6'7". The league is changing. It's going to come a point in time over the next 10 or so years where it's, it's going to be the league where there's no positions and it's just your put your best five on the court at all times. So at 6'7", he's about like 2'18", but not a muscular 2'18". You might remember he's Slovenian, so he's not a muscular 2'17". Kind of like my son. Uh, oh, no, no, no. This nigga from Denver name? Big man. Something to be diamond everybody and he triple double machine. His name will lose me right now. Give me a second. Not Nurkic. Nurkic was on. Nurkic was on Denver, though. Not Nurkic. Damn, yo, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name right now. I'm blanking right now. But the center from the center from uh the the Serbian center from uh from um Nokic. Not Nokic. I'm bugging. Jokic. I'm bugging. Jokic. Jokic. He got he has a similar build to a player like Jokic. Jokic is Serbian though. But yeah, them foreigners don't really. They're not like muscular big guys, but they are strong nonetheless. So with that being said, he's about 6'7", 220 right now. I can see him getting a little bit more stronger, and eventually he'll be able to play the four in a league that's constantly evolving. He'll be quick enough to blow past and get past any four. Not strong enough to body them up, but quick enough to get past them nonetheless. So Luke is essentially positionless. The only position he can't definitively play is the five. With that being said, he fits into literally any lineup that Rick Carlisle wants to throw on the floor. He fits into any lineup. And it's crazy. It's so sad to see a team like the Sacramento Kings pass up on a play like Luka Doncic. He really would have changed their franchise. I think I think the, the, the Kings were scared because they felt as though Luka was a point guard and he was going to interfere with De'Aaron Fox. 
but we're seeing now that he could play any position and he would have probably complimented the Aaron Fox. And shout out to the Aaron Fox, he's been balling this year as well. He's putting up, I believe, 18 and 6 this year. He definitely took, took, taking that leap from last season to this season. And going into the draft, I never forget going to the draft. Lamar Bulls talking a whole bunch of shit, saying that Deion, not Deion, just saying that De'Aaron can't bowl, De'Aaron isn't good, De'Aaron isn't that. De'Aaron is having a way better sophomore season than Lonzo Ball. So shout out to De'Aaron Fox for that as well too. A couple other rookies that stood out to me, my son. Um, shout out to Hamo, to, to Hami. <coughs> Excuse me. Shout out to Hami Diallo. In Oklahoma City Thunder, Queen stand up, New York stand up. He's been bowling as well too. I'm not sure why he's why he's not starting. Is it is it a situation where they don't want to start the rookie? They want him to, they want to ease him into the NBA flow, flow of the game and shit like that. And they, you know they feel like it's too much pressure, too big of a stage to start right away. I don't know, I don't know, I don't get it. But Hami should be starting. I don't care what nobody say. Hami should be starting. His athleticism is second to none. His raw talent, his ability to get up and down the floor with ease. Oh yeah, that's that fits perfectly. That complements. Um, Oklahoma City and Russell Westbrook and what they're doing over there. So shout out to Hami as well too. Uh, Marvin Bagley's been bowling as well too. He's been bowling. He's a little just. It's strange though. I watched. I watched about. I watched a couple. I'm not gonna say many. I watched a couple Sacramento games and it's like they haven't fully figured out. And it's so crazy to me because I feel like Sacramento has a lot of young talent on their team. I know it sounds crazy, but if you take a moment, stop and look at their roster right now. Look at all of the young players and the young pieces that they have on that roster right now. They have a formidable roster. Trust me, they do. I'm not really sure what's not working. Maybe David Yeager should go. I'm not sure if they don't know what's who to run the offense through. But something, something's a little fishy. Something's a little off in Sacramento. And um, I, I, I'll, I'll be, I'll be paying close attention to them to see how Marvin Bagley adjusts throughout the entire season. As well, too. Um, Wendell Carter Jr., I, I did expect him to be one of the better rookies in this year's class. It's only his rookie year. His numbers don't jump off the stats, the stat sheet right now. But um, from what I've seen, you know, he's, he's taking he's, he's taking things in stride. He's taking his time. They're taking their time with him out in, in Chicago. And I think in about four or five seasons, he'll, he'll, he'll be more of like an, an, an Al Hofer type of player. So I'm not ready to give up just yet on um, Wendell Carter Jr. But as far as my rookies, that's... That's, that's about it. I don't want to go on for too long. I'm already, I've already been going for about 47 minutes. That's all I got for you guys today. Again, like, share, subscribe, spread the word. Um, shit, even give me a couple of ratings on the Apple Podcast app and comments and stuff like that. This is the King Bentley Podcast. Thanks for listening.